Amen, amen. Take your seats. Ah, oh, oh, what wonderful worship. Thank you, Craig. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to just jump into it this morning, um, cracking on with the Word of God and continuing a series about the cross, the resurrection, and a little bit of teaching to see, okay, well, what do some of these things mean? What are the different views? How can we unpack this good news, this gospel, the, the cross, the resurrection, what Jesus did, um, how that affects us today, different ways we can interpret these things. I spoke recently about the cross and the victory of God as one metaphor for the atonement, the work of the accomplished, uh, finished work of Christ. And today I want to talk about liberation and freedom, freedom from oppression as an illustration to what God is. Uh, done through Jesus Christ, how he spiritually freed us from sin, restored our relationship with God. I want to consider Christ's manifesto in Luke chapter 4. We're going to turn those uh, to shortly. And what we consider uh, liberation in those times and what it means for us today. What is, uh, if you've studied liberation theology, you'll understand where its roots and things are there. I'm not going to go too much into that this morning. But the liberation from uh, poverty, from repression, um, repressive regimes, uh, all of this um, has wide-reaching both politically, socially, economically, and uh, certainly that would have been the impression of the Jews uh, during the time while they're waiting for this Messiah. They're waiting for this redemption, and they're listening to Christ in the times of Roman occupation. You've got to look at two things, I think, when it comes to Scripture. What was the context it was written in? What were some of the thoughts and ideas prevailing at that time? What was uh, what were they, their interpretation of Christ's message and his work? And uh, following the context, is there any relevance for any of that for us today? I mean, we're a couple of thousand years later. And uh, so when you look at Scripture in context and context, uh, relevance, um, that's what we're going to try and unpack some of these today. Uh, my main scripture is from Luke chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to there. And the story goes, Jesus is coming up to Nazareth, a uh, place where he'd been brought up, uh, where he was very familiar. And as it was his custom, he went uh, to the synagogue, their meeting point, and it was the Sabbath. And this was something that Jesus regularly did. Luke has to mention that for some reason, that this was a pattern of behavior that Jesus has. And they give him the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll. You can imagine the scrolls all stacked up on the wall. And I don't know if it was a random reading or it was a reading for that day. Um, I don't think there's much random about what Jesus does. Because what Jesus does and what Jesus teaches always seems to, to line up and go hand in hand. But he finds the place where it is written, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then takes the scroll, rolls it back up, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. Everyone is looking at him. And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled. 
if you carry on reading it, it didn't, his first sermon, it didn't go down too well with the crowd. I think they were happy with the context of Isaiah, staying in the context of Isaiah. Um, but he says, no, I'm going to bring this into relevance for us today. So my thoughts are, what does, what does the life and ministry of Jesus teach us? Um, what do we understand about the cross and the resurrection combined with Christ's purpose? And how do we interpret Christ's death and resurrection in the light of his manifesto, in the light of his teaching? It seems like the gospel writers um, are telling the whole story. They could have just said, listen, there was this guy called Jesus. He taught a lot. He died on the cross. Uh, he rose again from the dead. And now we have a new covenant, a new life in Christ. They could have just told us that part of the story, but if you notice, all four Gospels seem to spend a lot more time on Jesus' ministry and his life, and some of them go back to his origin story, you know, his prequel, and, and some of them, you know, just uh, deal with his ministry and parts of it. Um, some of them look at the chronological thing, and some, like John, just pick out what he thinks is important bits that you need to know. And John says, there's so much more I could have written, but there's not enough books in all the libraries for me to contain to tell you all the things about Jesus and all that he did. But everything they're writing seems to have its climax, its purpose in the cross, in his death, in the resurrection. And I don't think we should try and separate what Jesus did on the cross and how that gave us uh, a new life, and now we're in a new covenant from Jesus' life and ministry. What was Jesus doing all those years, and what was he saying? I know I've been reading, and some, uh, some would try and divorce Christ's work from his ministry to the eternal work of what the cross accomplished and our salvation. And some even go further, and they say, well, you know, before the cross and the resurrection, that's the Old Testament, and then they place everything that Jesus said and taught, um, maybe stuff they didn't or don't like that Jesus said, and they said, oh, well, you know, that's Old Testament. That's before the cross and the resurrection. That's before the Holy Spirit came. And I understand that because there's, there's truth in that because it wasn't possible, the new covenant, until the resurrection. But then we don't just dismiss all of Jesus' teaching and the things that he was uh, trying to do, and yes, the new covenant began uh, in the resurrection and the Spirit being given, but I don't think it's that simple. But G what, So what is Jesus doing preparing his disciples for this new covenant? Others would even dismiss the Old Testament, the law and the prophets as saying, well, yeah, that's then, now Jesus has come and everything is different. And I understand that. But maybe we need to view maybe not even call it the Old Testament, calling it Scripture. Um, how do we view the Scripture? Because that's how Jesus, Jesus taught the Scripture, the apostles taught the Scripture, and they read it and understood it. So how do we view Scripture? It has to be in the light of Jesus' teaching. It has to be in the light of we're now in the New Testament. We're now in the New Covenant. And we view things from the vantage point of this side of the cross and the resurrection. And whilst reading Scripture or reading these things, there's so many different perspectives, there's so many different ways you can view them, 
Uh, just the two I want to look at is what would be the interpretation of the listeners at the time? What would they have thought Jesus was talking about? What was the context to things that he was saying? And then secondly, what are the implications? If there are some for us today, how can we view that? Um, if we're talking oppression by the Roman Empire, we're talking about uh, the time there in Palestine that it was occupied by this foreign government. It was occupied by this government of, of Rome, that their system was based on worshipping idols, sacrificing to idols, and they are now occupying uh, Jerusalem. They're occupying the whole region there. And there's been these stories, like from Isaiah, uh, about a Messiah, about someone that's going to come and rescue them, someone that's going to establish the kingdom of God, someone that they're expecting to come. And here's this Jesus coming along, reading from Isaiah, reading these things. And uh, do they kind of pick up in the Isaiah's time is that that was the time of exile. That was the time when the, the people were out of the land. They'd been taken captive by Babylon or by Syria, then by Babylon. And um, Isaiah's then talking about, is Isaiah then talking about something that's going to happen now and restoring it? Or is Isaiah talking about something that's going to happen further on? But Jesus kind of makes that clear. So what Isaiah was talking about, he was talking about me. And the, um, this rings true because Isaiah also talks about the suffering servant. Talks about the servant and whether you view that servant as Israel, whether you view that servant as um, uh, the Messiah, whether you read that as uh, Christ or however you interpret that. Peter interpreted it and understood it because Peter writes about um, freedom from oppression and how that this wounded Savior was wounded for our transgression. And he quotes Isaiah saying, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. So straight out of the context of linking what Isaiah was saying to what Christ was doing. And there's different metaphors um, that we can draw and different lessons that we can learn from the work that Christ did. And one of them is that substitutionary work of Christ, how he took our place as the suffering servant and as he took our place of, uh, and then liberating us from the impression of sin by becoming sin for us so that we, by his suffering, may understand and become the righteousness of God, or we can become right with God. Another way to look at the cross is that Christ knew what it meant to suffer. And I think people over the, the, the last few thousand years have suffered. And I don't think you have to look too far in your life to find someone who is suffering. And Christ identifies with your suffering. And it's like Christ is in solidarity with the most vulnerable, with the most despised, and begins then, you see, when he's reading Isaiah, and he's saying, actually, what I've come to do is set people free. What I've come to do is liberate people. And where they're being oppressed, 
I want to free them. Where they're sick, I want to heal them. Where things aren't, you know, going right, I'm going to bring in an everlasting change. I've got a couple of quick points that I'm going to go through. First one is this freedom from oppression. It's for freedom that Christ had set us free, church, that uh, Paul says to the Galatians. The good news that Jesus proclaimed is being fulfilled now. I think when we take the words of Christ, and if you read Luke chapter 4, they didn't kind of recognize what Christ was doing. They were still bound because they didn't recognize that Christ was there to liberate them. Even though the year of the Lord's favor was actually something that had been longing and waiting for. And speaking and listening, saying, okay, well, Isaiah talked about this when we were in exile. We're kind of in an exile now. We're under oppression of the Roman Empire. We're longing for this Messiah to restore the kingdom. We're longing for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule and to reign, and we're longing for these things. And they're feeling oppressed. And of course, Jesus didn't right away deal with the Romans. So it does beg the question, it's like, well, what kind of kingdom is this that he's talking about? You know, if we follow him and if we uh, live in this kingdom, what does this kingdom look like? And in John chapter, John chapter 8, a uh, little bit of the story, there's this woman that's caught in adultery and then Jesus sets, sets her free, doesn't condemn her. And then we can jump down to verse 31. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they said, Listen, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be made free? Very truly, I say to you, Jesus answered them, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't have a permanent house place in the household, but the Son has a place forever. So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus did talk about liberation. He talked about becoming free. But maybe it wasn't clear to them exactly what that freedom meant and what is the truth that will set you free or who is the truth that will set you free. And I think this, this freedom that Christ was bringing has an eternal freedom. So therefore, it's not just in context to what he was talking about then. Jesus was doing something bigger, and it still applies today. Now, we not, might not be trying to seek safety from an oppressive Roman uh, regime, but if we're still under the bondage of sin, he says, if you commit sin, you're enslaved to that sin. And I think we see that with various problems in today's culture. Problems with addiction. That it almost seems like you're enslaved or entrapped or there doesn't seem to be any way out. And I think it's the t time and responsibility of the church to step up and begin to set people free. Yeah, how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, doesn't he? The truth will set you free. Not just telling people things they don't want to hear, but the, the truth 
the gospel. And when things like this, the truth will set you free, when that kind of hits us, and, and I don't just mean in our ears and we go, okay, that's a nice thought, but it comes, penetrates into us. When we allow the truth, which is, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. When those kind of things penetrate us and go beyond our intellect into our very soul, then I think we can begin to understand that Christ's message today has relevance for me. And we can personalize it into our popular culture. We can uh, personalize it into our own situation that the suffering that Christ went through was in order to set me free. He dealt with sin. He dealt with death. What do those things then mean to me today? Does that mean that as well as spiritual freedom, I can have physical healing? I can have emotional healing? I can be free from mental oppression? To, to understand that the liberation that Christ came and set out to do, even from, uh, from Luke chapter 4 and onwards, you can see that Jesus is healing people. You can see that Jesus is finding people who are oppressed. Uh, and he was seeking them out to save them, to heal them, to make them whole, spiritually, physically, emotionally, to understand that this liberation that Christ has for us is our mind, body, and spirit. It's a personal thing, but I think it's bigger than that. I think uh, Christ's uh, liberation wants to penetrate every part of our society, dealing with problems that we have like racism, classism, sexism, as well as poverty, as well as injustice. I think all these themes are relevant for us today. And, and, and there's a challenge for us today to deal with injustice when we see it. And to open our eyes to some of the issues that are going on in our very society. How group identities want to oppress and want to, you know, try not to get political. The liberation that Christ has for us goes beyond our personal and our private because the church is a voice into our nation. It's a voice into this world, and we have to speak up. We have to speak up. Christ would certainly spoke up, and well, they crucified him for it. And he says, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross, and we deal with some of these things. Church has a voice. We have a voice, collective voice. We need to speak up against uh, the economic injustices that are going on. Jesus' life, his message, this, he embodied liberation. And, and it's got to be a vital part of our communication of the gospel within our modern society. The ultimate expression of liberation, of course, is in the resurrection, where the, the newness, the transformation, the change, how the resurrection is a symbol of that victory. And it's a symbol of that uh, vindication that even though they tried to bring him down, they couldn't hold him down. Death couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't keep him down. And I tell you, when we begin to understand and live in the resurrection life, we too can start tapping into some of the things that God has for us today. Hey, that makes you want to fill your uh, lungs with breath and stand tall and say, come on. Let's preach some good news. He says, good news to the poor. What is good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. 
Point number two, let's move on. For us to understand what Christ did in his life and his death, what was he doing healing people? And combine his manifesto with his message, with his ministry. What is Christ doing here? You know, he's uh, three or four years that he's ministering, three or four years that he's doing things. And then it's culminating with the cross and the resurrection. And then, of course, we know eternal consequences of those. But I've often wondered, what was Jesus doing healing people? Because we knew he would heal someone, and a few years, maybe decades later, they would die. I mean, they're not still alive today. I mean, Lazarus, he rose him from the dead. And now we're looking back 2,000 years ago, and yeah, what was the point of that? Because he probably died a few years later anyway. So what is Jesus doing? Why is, he, why is he healing people? There must have been purpose to this, and it must have been more than just to attract a crowd, get his message across, and then move on to the next town. I think Jesus was very strategic in what he was doing, but I also think Jesus was revealing something to us about what God is like. But I also think he's preparing his disciples for what they were supposed to do when he was no longer around. So I think Jesus in his, in his healing people, yes, it's showing his compassion. He says, uh, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they, har- they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It does reveal so much of what Jesus was about. Do you know the very next verse says, does anybody know the context of that? He says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so go out into the harvest. So Jesus takes his compassion and acts on it. I think there's a big lesson for us to learn right there. But also Jesus is saying, listen, I want this to last. And I can't do this all by myself. And it's a big job. So he's training as well. He's training his disciples to send out laborers into the harvest field. In Matthew 23, verse 37, 38, it's Jesus, he's weeping and lamenting over Jerusalem. And he says this, how often have I desired to gather you like a mother hen gathers a brood under her wings, but you're not willing. I think Jesus had some frustrations, if I'm allowed to say that. He was frustrated that they just weren't getting it. They didn't recognize, the Scripture says, the hour of their visitation, the Messiah, the Son of God. But it's also showing that Jesus wants to improve people's lives around him. He's not just preaching a good news gospel so they can get a ticket into the afterlife or that they can, you know, be uh, secure of their eternal salvation. Jesus is actually caring about their lives and their here and their now. He's not just saying, listen, preach the good news, get them to pray a prayer, and they'll get a place in heaven and we'll all have a party about it. Jesus really cares about their lives here and now, their suffering. And if he can, and he could, and he did, make their lives better. I think there's a lesson right there. What can I do? to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit 
to help people's lives just be that little bit better. Or maybe I could stop contributing towards making people's lives worse. That's a good start for us human beings. But maybe there's a more lofty aim that we could make others' lives better by operating the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus said, the kingdom comes here on earth. God's will be done here on earth. It's not always just about the afterlife. It's, it's about the here and now. What are we doing operating in the power of the Holy Spirit? But I think Jesus had this bigger picture also in mind when Pilate said to him, you know, what is truth? And they have this conversation going on. And, and are you really a king? And he says, yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. So Jesus did have this bigger picture, as in the kingdom is here and now, but it's also not yet. And he explains that, you know, there's things, uh, powers at four, powers here that have to be dealt with, and then the kingdom can come. And then that's how we see the power of the cross in the victory of Christ, dealing with those enemies, defeating sin and death. But sin and death had to be destroyed. The old serpent had to be destroyed. Um, but Jesus' temporary healing ministry, and I don't mean that derogatively, his temporary healing, because... You know, I explain that. But it was a necessary part of the redemption that Christ came to bring. He knew their ultimate need would be to part of the eternal kingdom, but there was also something about bringing that kingdom of God to earth here and now and living in freedom from sickness, freedom from sin, freedom from oppression. And there's some things that only his death and resurrection would deal with, but I think there was a beginning of it that we can begin to see in here and now. We know that when we leave this body, we have eternal life with Christ. We know that. Everyone knows that throughout Scripture. Everyone knows and believes that. Um, but there is a, a sense of we still have a job here to be done. And we can continue the work that Jesus started and operate kingdom of God principles here on earth. And the final point. We read these stories and, you know, we understand that, okay, back then it was tough. There was lots of things going on. It was very difficult to live in that time um, under the oppression of the Romans and uh, just with sickness and no doctors. And we understand that there was a need for Christ to liberate people then. But how is that liberation applied to us today? What is contemporary liberation? See, Christ's victory, his death, his resurrection provides liberation from the powers that would try and hold us back, that would try and uh, keep us captive to sin and the consequences of sin and no our death. But that power has liberated us today for us to start afresh. For that power of the resurrection has enabled the new covenant with which we're living in now with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Galatians, and he talks to them about the freedom that they now have. It says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Knowing what it means to be liberated and made free by Christ's work on the cross is vital for us Christians today. In the New Testament, this type, this yoke of slavery referred to the bondage that uh, God's people were under 
um, before Christ came, before um, he laid the path to salvation by his death on the cross, the bondage of sin and the bondage of God's law. And the freedom we have in Christ is the freedom to live in faith, not to be subject to the law of sin and death. You need to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 and see what Christ does to liberate us and set us free for the life of the Spirit and life in Christ frees us from the law of sin and death. But Paul's also picking this up to the Galatians. And he says, the freedom you have now is the freedom to live by faith, to put our hope and trust in God for our salvation and allow God to welcome us through his Son into his kingdom, into the here and now and for eternally. Someone, someone said, I read recently, that with this freedom comes a responsibility. And it's the responsibility of now you're free from addiction to sin. Now you're free from that trap of sin because the truth has set you free, because the Son has set you free. Now you have the responsibility to, of obedience to Christ to live this new life in God's kingdom. You have the responsibility to stand firm. I love it when he says that. Don't, don't let yourselves go back into slavery, meaning keep the faith. Stay true to what you believe. Uh, stand firm. Be brave. Paul says stand firm, knowing that there's a responsibility that comes with my freedom in Christ. Standing firm, being brave is just that. It's holding on to the one who we know is stronger and letting that one hold on to us that maybe we don't have our own strength because those temptations for us to go into sin, into our old life, seem to want to come and hit us all the time. If you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction, you'll understand this better than most, is that there's always that temptation wanting to drag you back into your old life. But now you're free. You're free from sin. So your now responsibility is to hold on. And that holding on is holding on to Christ. It's holding on to our freedom in Christ. And it means that we remain obedient and, and we fulfill what God has called us to do with our whole heart, holding on to the one who can weather the storm, holding on to the one. Free, freedom means that we are free to have hope. I tell you, when you're, 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 you're trapped and you're oppressed, you know, and the life seems hopeless, Christ makes you free. And that freedom is that you're able now to see and to have hope. You're free to love. You're free to trust. You know, if you've been bound by lust and God sets you free from lust, it means you're free to love. You know, there's so many things in here that I could, if I had time this morning, to just unpack what that means to be free to trust, free to persevere free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that you may set other people free, free to be brave, free to boldly step into places and to do things that you'd never dreamed of doing. You know, the storms of life come for all of us. And the Christian life isn't easy, and Jesus never promised it would be. But we're simply responsible now for our obedience. Doesn't mean everything's going to work out, but I'm going to hold true to faith. Because I've been set free. I'm not using my freedom as an excuse to do whatever I want. No, I'm using my freedom to take the responsibility that Christ has given me to begin to set other people free. And I think a word of responsibility to, to live the life that we're called to 
to, to, to live the life that we say that we believe in a world that so desperately needs to know some hope. And the strength, the faithfulness, the love of Christ comes into our lives and helps us by the Holy Spirit and sets us free. I'm going to close. The cross, the resurrection, brings ultimate freedom. Brings ultimate liberation from sin and death as a continuation of what Jesus began. It's kind of like there's a a working going on throughout Jesus' ministry. I encourage you, when you read these scriptures, think about the cross and the resurrection. Think about what Jesus is doing and teaching and engaging with his disciples. You know, he commanded them to preach the good news. And I think that command follows to us today, the good news. Because the same spirit that anointed Christ to liberate people from oppression in whatever shape or form, that applies to us today. And when we see those held captive by the Spirit of God, by the anointing of the Holy One, Jesus said, I'm leaving so I can give you the Spirit. And you're going to do things, and these are going to be greater things than what I've done. Because the same Spirit of God that works in me is going to be working in you. When we see those held captive by the Spirit, we are called to liberate them, to heal them, and ultimately bring them into the kingdom of Christ. But understanding a little bit about the context and what these scriptures meant to those who first heard them, and then bring that ancient text into today's fulfillment. Can we say today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing? Today the church is setting people free. Today the church is liberating those who are oppressed. Can we say the spirit of the Lord is upon me? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Just say that. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Let me hear you say that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you believe that this morning?